0: One of the things that uh, many households in these pews would tell you is that coming to church can be difficult. One of the reasons that's unique is that this church is on the younger side, especially for churches in our city. I would say probably the average age would be somewhere between 20 and 39 years old. So we've had college students and uh, over the years, and we've had folks that are newly married. We had, we had singles. But usually when you have a church that young, you have a lot of kids. And some, some years I do wonder if the kids will overpopulate us some di- time. And I'll be going to my study one day, and the children just takes over the church, and they just said, hey, uh, we stage a coup, you're gone, right? There's just a lot of kids and a lot of households here, a lot of young kids. Many of our kids are even before the age of elementary school, uh, and that's just the nature of our church. Because of that, I know for many households here that it's a challenge to even show up here, to even integrate community groups or Bible study and prayer and fellowship with the saints as... Uh, normal uh, parts of your weekly rhythms. You often pack up your kids and you're on your way here only for the whole process to be interrupted by an explosive, poopy diaper. Or you get your kids here, but they let you know they don't really want to be here. They're distracted. They're wondering when the pastor will finally land the plane on the conclusion. They want busy bags. They want to go to the bathroom here, even though they just unloaded before they came here. That's what you're dealing with in the pews. And this is not to mention what many of you endure also in community group life. You're meeting with god's people in your homes and you're gathering around the study of of the scriptures and the time of prayer and accountability and update of daily life but it's loud and there's fighting and there's tears that is normal church life for trinity city church and many times i know you all especially you parents are exhausted you're wondering is it worth it is it worth packing them up and coming here is it worth Doing all this, it seems to be everybody's distracted, and I'm tired, and I'm annoyed. Is it worth it? And the text reminds us today that it is. One of the most important things for a church to do is to pass on the wonderful works of God to the next generation. We do that in a variety of ways. We can do that through evangelism and passing on our faith. Uh, to our classmates or our neighbors or our colleagues. We, we do, we do many, many different ways and many different forms of passing on the gospel to the next generation. But what I really want to key in this morning through this psalm is how do we do that through parenting and even this collective responsibility that we as a church have, whether we're parents or not, to pass on the gospel to our children. And so we're going to look at Psalm 78 as uh, a way to inspire us to do that. And then in the second half of the sermon, I hope to give you some practical guidance on how we do that, uh, both as parents and also corporately as a church. So let's go to Psalm 78. The opening verses uh, talk about the importance of passing down what we've heard from others, and then it details what exactly we are passing down. Look at verses 4 through 5. We will not hide them from their descendants... We are passing on the wonderful works of God, what he has shown about himself in history and redemption and what he has declared through his commands and his law. We see here the reality that we're reminded of in the scriptures is that God did not hide himself. We do not worship a God that's unknown, but he's known. He wants us to see his wonder and his glory, and not just for one generation, but multiple generations, would know what he has done, who he is, and what he asks of us. We pass on to our generation not a theory or an idea or a concept, but the reality of God who's a person who's living, who can be known and experienced and loved and grasped. And that's what we pass on to our children and our children to their children. And on and on and on we go. And that's why we, partially here, all know about this gospel and these wonderful works because of faithful generations that have went before us, that have passed it down to us. Some of you might have noted in verse four, it's an important verse that we use in uh, one of the things we practice here at Trinity City Church. We practice child dedications, and we give the certificate uh, to the families that dedicate their children to the Lord here, and on the top of that certificate, or maybe it's in the middle, this verse is quoted that we will tell the next generation the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord, or some translations have the wondrous works of the Lord, because that is our commitment that we are making in that ritual, is that we are saying as a body, not just the parents, but the whole congregation, that our responsibility that we're committing ourselves to through the grace of God is to pass on this gospel to the next generation. Verses 7 through 8 continue, Then they, will put their tr- they would put their trust in God and would not forget his deeds, but would keep his commands. They would not be like their ancestors, a stubborn and rebellious generation whose hearts were not loyal to God, whose spirits were not f- faithful to him. The point of passing on the wonderful gospel of Jesus Christ is that generations would put their trust in God, that they wouldn't forget his deeds and that they wouldn't forget what God commands us to do as we follow him and his ways. And then it says in verse 8, that we have a ex- negative example of this, how ancestors and those that have went before us did not do this. And we want to tell the story of those mistakes and those stories of rebellion. And it's important when you pass down the legacy of the gospel that you're highlighting not only the miracles and the redemption, but also the reality that the human heart wanders from God and rebels against God. You pass down the good news as well as the bad news and the rebellious stories. Sometimes maybe there are stories in your own family tree that are like this. There are stories to celebrate and also stories that are just like, whoa, I wish that didn't happen. Uh, I have uh, a story that my wife recently told me about her family. Her family came from Danish uh, immigrants uh, that came here from Denmark. And there's so many probably cool stories that many of your uh, family trees have of why maybe they came here, maybe some really noble reasons. That's not the case for my wife's family tree in this case she had a a, an ancestor who was the first to come over here uh, from denmark because he was fleeing the law and what has he done what did he do well he stole rabbits from the king of Denmark and that made him upset and back in those days rabbits pretty important didn't make the king very uh, very happy and so he was running from the king of Denmark that's why he came here and that's a story now of not the wonderful works of God uh, but the foolish uh, uh, works of this uh, grandparent uh, that was fleeing the Danish king we do this all the time, and in gospel work, in Christian work, we do the same thing. We pass on the gospel, and included in the stories of Scripture are examples of things not to do to avoid uh, the rebellion of those that have gone before us. So let's look specifically at what the psalm says now, because the psalm now says this is what we're supposed to do, and sings of it, and then it goes and provides an example so the psalm goes on to sing about God's wonderful works in Egypt and the redemption of God's people out of slavery in Egypt and the wandering around in the wilderness and how he divided the sea, led his people through the sea by a cloud by day and fire by night. But even though God's mighty work of redemption was displayed for them and they were received by God's people, the song goes on to say that Israel rebelled during that time in the wilderness. They tested the Lord. And made demands of him, and they lost their trust in him, even though they did this, God continued to provide for His people with water from the rock and bread from heaven. And then this back and forth in Israel's history starts to happen, that's described in verses 35 through 38. They remembered that God was their rock, that God most high, was their redeemer. But then they would flatter him with their mouths, lying to him with their tongues. Their hearts were not loyal to him. They were not faithful to his covenant. Yet he was merciful. He forgave their iniquities and did not destroy them. Time after time he restrained his anger and did not stir up his full wrath. And the psalm continues to sing of these things, even though Israel and God's people rebelled against him time and time again, all the way through the time of judges, God is faithful to them, showing mercy and discipline. And then in the final verses, it has this picture of God's people surrounded by his enemies in a sad and hopeless situation. Verses 63 to 64, fire consumed their young men. And the young women had no wedding songs. Their priests were put to the sword, and their widows could not weep. That is a terrible description and a vivid description of how hopeless the situation is, that the widows, when even they would lose their son and daughters, didn't even have time to weep because they, too, were swept away by God's enemies. And then what happens? Verses 65 to 66. Then the Lord awoke as from sleep, As a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine, he beat back his enemies. He put them to everlasting shame. I had to just do a double take on verse 65. Did you catch how they described God coming after God's people's enemies? How was he described? It was described as that the Lord woke from sleep as a warrior wakes from the stupor of wine. I don't know what came into your mind when you read that but I'm just like this is this is like a Jeff Bridges character in a movie right just oh, oh, and start shooting the place up right it's just like that's in the bible that's, that's, that's how God's people would vividly remember how God awakened and, and came and brought vengeance and, and protection to his people. This is not the type of song you're going to hear on Christian radio. No, that's, that's bad marketing, right? But that's in the scriptures. And the, the point of such a sharp text like that is to get the story of God and the description of who he is into our hearts in a memorable way. The psalm Psalm ends by saying that God chooses his people again. He establishes his sanctuary with him and raises up a king, King David, to shepherd his people. And this all prepares the way for the great and mighty King Jesus to come, who is the true and better sanctuary where God dwells with his people, and the true and better king who shepherds his people. That's Jesus the Messiah, And that's why in the New Testament you see the same practice being done, that we sing songs and remember gospel stories through the verses and passages of the New Testament. There are passages in Scripture that many think, in the New Testament Scriptures, that many think are old hymns that are being sung by the church, much like this psalm was sung by the church, in order to remember the wondrous works of God and to pass it down to the next generation. One of those examples is Colossians 1, 15 through 20. This is an old hymn likely that the Christian church sang, which says, The Son is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For in him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. What is this hymn singing? What is it saying to the generations that come after us and before us? That Jesus Christ is Lord over all of creation. Creation exists because of him, and he sustains creation, and creation exists for him, that is, for his glory and his honor. And then verses 18 through 20 sing, and he is the head of the body of the church. He's the beginning and the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. For God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace through the blood of his cross, shed on the cross. Jesus is not only Lord of all of creation, but he is Lord of the new creation, the church, the redeemed people of God that he bought by his precious blood, by laying down his life for sinners on the cross, only to take it up again in resurrection. And that's what we sing. And that's what we pass on, and we not only sing it, we pray about it, we read it, we memorize it, we talk to our children about it, we talk to our friends and our neighbors and our colleagues. This is the story of the wonderful works of God and Jesus Christ and the gospel that, just, that, that impacts our soul and then therefore translates into passing it down to the next generation and the next generation and the next generation. That's what this psalm is celebrating and singing about. But now for the second half of this message, I want to get more practical. How do we do this? We can see in this psalm and in the New Testament that passing on the gospel to the next generation is of first importance. And that's what we are called to do, not only to our neighbors and our colleagues and our classmates, but especially to our children, especially for the little ones that are here with us in these pews and gathering in our classrooms. How do we pass on God's gospel to them? So let me ask this question to start driving this home a little bit. Who do you think, and or what do you think, is the most important factor in a child's faith? More than anything else, more than anything else, what shapes the faith of a child more than anything? And maybe as you're thinking about this, you're thinking about things like the local church, maybe youth groups, Christian schools, mission trips, summer camps, maybe Sunday school, or youth ministers, friends or siblings. But what we know by just people who study this and even pastors who see it and experience it, that the most important factor in whether a child will embrace the faith or not is the parents. The parents are the most important factor. And this isn't just something that I've made up, but it also comes from Uh, deep study. There's a book uh, by author named Christian Smith called Handing Down the Faith. He's mainly a sociologist, and he's looking at why do some kids keep the faith and others do not keep the faith. And of course, what I'm about to say in terms of wisdom doesn't mean that if you do these things, you're guaranteed that your children will know and embrace the faith the rest of their life. But God does use means for his ends, that there are things that we can do that create an environment of gospel graciousness that our children can flourish in, especially for those that have been given the responsibility to parent our children. So the book uh, details a lot of ways, a lot of factors that were in the life of kids that led them to continue to embrace the faith. I want to highlight four things from this book that are, are good things for parents to follow in handing down the faith to the next generation the first thing is this if you're a parent with kids and you're trying to hand down the gospel be authentic genuine and natural in your faith your kids will look at your life and determine If your faith is authentic or not, not. it's not just about what you say, whether or not you can articulate the gospel or you know the Apostles' Creed. They're going to look at your life and say, do they actually buy into this? Because children's first spiritual gift is sniffing out inauthenticity, right? They're just like, they know if somebody's a fake. They know if you're just going through the motions. They know if when you gather with the saints, you actually deep down hate it and you, you try to avoid it. They see that. And so one of the most important things to do as a parent, uh, even before you maybe lean into discipling your kids, is to also focus on discipling your own soul and taking care of your own soul and praying through the reality, do I believe this gospel? Not perfectly, but is there, there a reality in my life that in the way I repent the way I walk in humility, the way I worship, that it's showing my kids what an authentic Christian life ought to look like, and do they see it, not only hear it by the, way, by the things that I'm saying, but see it in the things that I'm doing. Number two, another thing that Christian Smith says is important for parents to do is to have balanced parenting. And I would say parenting, that's really influenced by the gospel of Jesus Christ, what we know about our Heavenly Father. A Heavenly Father doesn't hide boundaries and his commands from us, but he says these are the ways of life. These are the things you are to follow. Do these things and you will live. If you don't do these things, you will lead yourself on a path of destruction. And not only does he give us those authoritative commands, but the Lord also is gracious with us because the reality is us as his children, we don't follow those commands perfectly. We don't love him perfectly. But rather than responding in just immediate angers and outbursts of wrath and strictness, the Lord gives us what? His kindness, his mercy, his graciousness. We, we saw that in the psalm, in Psalm 78, that that was the reality. When, when God's people continued to sin and rebel, God's response was mercy and grace and more faithfulness. And in parenting, parents, mothers and fathers especially, or mentors, are called to exhibit that same balance between clarity of what is right and wrong and true and false with graciousness and love. Think about it, if you have strict parenting, you have authority without the warmth, and you don't teach kids the kindness of God. If you have permissive parenting, you have warmth but no boundaries. You're their friend, but you don't show them the ways of life, the things that will hurt them and the things that will cause their life to flourish. Or if you're a passive parent, you have neither warmth nor boundaries, meaning that you're uninvolved and you've checked out. What the gospel calls parents to do are parents that give clarity and guidance. Don't ever hold back on the truth of the gospel and God's commands. Share them. Call your kids to obey them and to follow them. But when they rebel or they mess up or they have doubts, you give them grace and love and faithfulness a, a a home in which they can wrestle through these things and not feel like they're going to be canceled because they live in a world that is so excited to cancel them for the smallest things but may our homes be a place of not only clarity but a place if you do mess up you're not going to be ostracized because our kids are not growing up in a culture that affords them that anymore but our households can give them that Number three of four tips that Christian Smith gives parents is to have routine faith conversations. Routine faith conversations. Don't only display the importance of your faith in attending weekly services with the church or daily households, household devotionals. Those things are good, those kind of intentional times where you're like, you know what, we're going to pray, we're going to study the Bible, and we're going to do it on these days or these times. That's important to have that structure But the reality is, is that it's also good to show your kids the faith in natural ways. How faith just tends to naturally come up in the details of life, even when it's unplanned. Parents need to integrate faith, prayer, service, and scripture into the daily conversations of life, even if it's unplanned, even if you didn't set aside time to do that. Because kids need these spaces to express their questions and their doubts and their ideas, and that the parents respond with patience and listening, truth, and grace. What is being described here is not just like, how good am I doing at daily devotionals with my kids, but something maybe more attuned to what Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9 says. When the scriptures say, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and all your strength. These commandments that I give you today are to be on your hearts. And look how it it, it expresses how to pass this on to our children. Impress them on your children. Talk about them when you sit at home and you walk around the road and when you lie down and when you get up. Just that, that daily rhythm of everyday life and faith is coming up spontaneously but also in planned ways as well. Number four, and finally, this is also what Christian Smith advises parents to do to bring up our children in the Lord. Channel your kids into relationships and environments that reinforce the faith. So this is the part to remind you that it is really important that a lot of this is on you, but it's not all on you. It's not all up to you. Not only it's also about God's own grace and sovereignty in your children's life, it's also bringing your children up in a community where there are other adults and there's peers and there's other generations that are showing your children what it's like to live life in Christ. You have a local church to support you and mentors for your kids within that local church and friends that they may not hold the same influence on your kids that you do, But they help and they assist in helping your kids make their faith their own and not just something that they're following because their parents do so as well. Now, the other thing I want to do in the second half of uh, the message before I conclude is to show that second part a little bit more vividly because one of the beautiful things about being part of a church and passing on the, the gospel to the next generation is not only is it, is it, a place for you to nurture your faith so that you can do that in the daily life in your household, but there's ways that we corporately get to celebrate the growth of our children in the gospel in the way that we do church and that we do worship gatherings together. And I want to I reflect on that a little bit too to give you a vision for what we celebrate here at Trinity as we pass the gospel on to the next generation. One of the things that churches always try to figure out is like how much, especially in a, in a service like this, how much are children going to be involved and how much are we going to have like ministries that are contextualizing the gospel to them. And some ministries essentially have like two pathways, one for the adults and one for the kids. So from birth all the way up to graduation, there's your own children's ministry and junior high ministry and youth ministry. And sometimes you have your own services and there's not a lot of integration. Others have an experience where you go to church, and uh, from birth all the way up to adulthood, the kids are involved in the service, which would mean that if that was happening here, that there would be probably more kids in here than adults, right? We have a lot of young kids here. One of the things we've attempted to do at Trinity is to have a hybrid between the two, because the reality is, especially of a church with young families, is that we need to minister to you as well that you need a space where like, your kid isn't just jumping on your legs and pulling your hair while you're trying to hear about Jesus, but you can lean in and you can, you can be ministered to even while your children are getting a ministry of the gospel in a way that they can understand. But for us, that is only something that we want to offer at the youngest ages, but as they grow, that they become more and more a part of the life of the church and especially this gathering. That's what our goal is. And so how we've done that in the past is we've had three big things that we get to celebrate as a church with our children. We have dedications that happen soon after birth where we have parents and their kids. They come up here and we pray for those children. And it's not just just the parents dedicating these children to the Lord and all of his promises, but we as a household of faith— are also participating in that with them. And we've had so many dedications, the stage full of next generation of children that know the gospel. We've had games of tag break out up here, and it's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. And just if you've ever noticed, like I've always loved as a pastor the sound of children in the service. The crazy things that kids do. It's just the sound of that, that 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 joy that we get to pass on the gospel to the next generation. So we've had child dedications. We also often on Easter get to see the next generation baptized in the Lord Jesus Christ. And then soon after that take communion for the first time. But one of the things that me and some of the church leaders have been thinking about is how can we continue to fill out these rituals that we get to do to celebrate gospel faithfulness to the next generation. And I want to introduce a couple new ones that we're hoping to add to the life of our church. So to put the kind of the, the order of operation up here to give you kind of a vision of some of the things we've, we are going to do. So we have child dedications. We've done that since the start of the church. Baptism and Lord's Supper, the two sacraments, the two ordinances from the Lord that we practice And we've had covenant membership, and one of the things that we would hope is that by the time our kids turn 18 and before they go off to college, that they would be covenant members here. But there's a couple new things that we're looking to add as rituals to the life of the church so that we can celebrate God's faithfulness in passing on his gospel to the next generation. One of them is presenting uh, a bible to our kids now does anybody up from a tradition where that happened to you anybody i came from a tradition where i have a very vivid memory of coming up to the front of the church and the pastor in the church giving me a bible for the first maybe not for the first time maybe i've had like kids bibles with like the weird like illustrations in there or whatever like i could have had some of that but this was like the real bible like the bible that that parents and adults read right And that's something that we are hoping to add and that we want to do for the first time next Sunday. And the goal and the vision for, like, why would it happen um, kind of uh, when we're thinking is that we we just dismiss kids uh, for some children's church, and they're, uh, especially that kind of age, K through second grade, they're. Uh, Absent for the sermon, but after second grade or about that age They come back into the service and now I got them right they have to listen to my sermon But one of the things that we can do and this often happens in life is that's a turning point for a kid in our church That's a big deal now. You're here for the entire service Where we preach the grown-up Bible the NIV in this case? That's our translation and we want to hand our children a Bible to celebrate that milestone in their life. Now, since this is the first time we've ever done this, what we're going to do next Sunday is open it up to pretty much any kid, third grade and up, that wants to participate in this. If your parents uh, uh, if parents want to get your kids involved, uh, there was an email that went out. Uh, to parents to let us know if you want to participate. Now, your kid can get a Bible still, even if they're not here next Sunday, or maybe they're, they're old enough and they're getting super cool, and they're like, I don't know. I don't know if that's cool enough for me to go up in the front with all these little kids and get a Bible. I get it. We still want them to experience this the first time, even if they're not going to be coming up to the front. And then the annual tradition will start to become That when children move out of that time where they're being dismissed from the sermon back into the service that that we are going to celebrate that milestone by giving them on behalf of the church corporately their bible that they can bring to this service and to read with god's saints the other thing on here that uh, would be uh, more for older kids as they grow up in the faith here is, uh, is to be a confirmed member of Trinity rather than a covenant member. And the idea that, that the elders of Trinity had behind this is that the goal really is not for adults but also for our kids that they would fully be integrated into the life of the church, that they would be here for the whole service, that they would be baptized, that they would be participating at this table after their baptism, the Lord's Supper, and that just like adults, eventually they would say, this is my church. And this is my faith. I've declared that not only in my baptism, but also I confirm that now by becoming and going through the process of becoming a member of the church. And about the age 16, we want our children to go through the process of membership But our bylaws say that you can't start being a voting member until you're 18. Again, there's a lot of kids that are gonna become 16 year olds here soon. They will have a huge voting block someday, okay? So we're just gonna do something where 16 years old will have this category called a confirmed member where our kids have went through the whole process. All that needs to happen now is for them to turn 18, and then they're a full voting member of Trinity City Church, just like we encourage the adults to do. And this is a way, again, these are rituals and sacraments and ordinances and traditions that we want to have along the pathway of faith for our kids as a way to celebrate these milestones of passing on the gospel to the next generation. With all that in mind, let me close this uh, time again by reading that verse uh, that's on the on the, the child dedication certificates that we uh, hand out to our kids as first of importance of what our calling is here as, as as a church body, that we will not hide the wonderful works of God from their descendants. We will tell the next generation this gospel and the praiseworthy deeds of the Lord about His power and the wonders that he has done.